Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, if you have a Bible, a phone, a tablet, whatever, grab it and meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1151 in that Bible. And we are continuing our way through our series that we've called Renovations, Being Transformed to Be Like Jesus. That uh, when we said yes to Jesus, that was the day we got saved. And has, as it has often been said, God loves us just the way that we are, but loves us too much to let us stay the way that we are. And so part of the process now, as we are followers of Jesus, is that we continue to have sin in our life. There is character that's not good. There are things that need work. And so we are in this renovation process. God is doing a work of renovation in us to remove what is sinful, to remove what is not good, and to build up what is good, and to create what needs to be created in order that we would be holy. And so the process gets called lots of different things. We've been calling it spiritual formation, which is a, a term that's becoming more common. Uh, used to be called sanctification a lot, but I really like the term spiritual formation because it is the, I think, proper reminder that it is the Holy Spirit doing the forming. We cannot transform ourselves. We cannot make ourselves more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit does the work in our hearts and in our minds and in our character. Our job is to connect with Him, and as we connect with Him, He does the work to make us more like Jesus. Our key verse has been Romans 8, 29. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed, to be transformed, transformed, to be renovated, if you like, to the image of his son. That we want to be people who look more like Jesus, not just because we're trying harder to obey the teachings of Jesus, but that God would do a deep work in us where we actually are becoming more like him. We are reflecting his character. We are shining with his light. We are looking like people who know Jesus and are being changed to be more like him. So the renovation uh, thing has been the metaphor that we've been using. And just the idea that we all have old stuff in our life, we all have sin in our life, we all have character in our life that needs to get torn out, and we all have areas that need to be built up, and that is the work that God is doing in us. And so as we get ready to jump in today, we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about just practically what does this look like? What are the things that God is using to do this work in our lives? And so two weeks ago we talked about we want to be people who are growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, this is primarily through Scripture, and they're the Word of God. Is transforming us. Last week we talked about growing in communion with God. This is where the presence of God transforms us. The Holy Spirit, as we are filled with the Spirit, does His work in our lives. If you've missed any of these, you can catch up with them online. Today we're talking about growing in the community of God. And this is where God uses one another. God uses us in each other's lives in order to form us and in order to make us more like Jesus. And so as we get going, I'm going to show you a clip here this morning. I showed it to you a couple years ago. I will probably show it to you you regularly just because I like it a lot. And so you have seen this before. Uh, I don't think I need to explain anything about it other than it's from the TV show Malcolm in the Middle, and you can take a look here. Now what can we learn from this? So people are the worst, can be the worst, and anytime we're bumping up against other people, there is potential for conflict, there's potential for struggle, it's inevitable. Uh, I used to joke around that before I met Sarah, I was a bachelor and I lived alone in an apartment for a number of years. And 
uh, when you live alone as a bachelor, there's not a lot of conflict that happens in your house, right? Because it's just you. You do what you want. Uh, you get married. All of a sudden, there's another person there, and that person's there all the time, you guys. And after years of living alone, it took some time to get the hang of living with somebody again. And just any time, whether it's in a marriage or in a family or in a church or in a school or in a workplace or whatever, any time we're bumping up against other people, uh, there's challenges to being in community. Uh, the flip side of that, of course, is that there are unbelievable benefits of being in community. There are wonderful things that happen. And so as we talk about formation and our spiritual formation, uh, and then we talk about the role that other people are playing in our spiritual formation, I want us to look at our text, so let's take a look at that. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're starting in verse 12. This is a well-known passage if you've been around church uh, for any length of time. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So it's a well-known picture. Again, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard that term. We sometimes refer to the church as the body of Christ. Uh, and it comes from this particular passage, another passage in Romans that hits on the same themes. But as we're talking about our spiritual formation today, what we are talking about are the ways in which God will use other people to make you more like Jesus. And so to keep with our renovation theme, it's that Jesus is doing a renovation work in our life, and he's going to call in contractors. And the contractors are the people around you in your life who are going to be a part of what the Holy Spirit uses to both make you aware of your sin, to help you work through your sin, to build up the good character, uh, other people are going to be a crucial part of what the Holy Spirit does in your life. So we have talked about how in uh, a couple of weeks ago, how this, the Word of God transforms us. Last week we talked about how the presence of God transforms us. Today we're talking about how the people of God transforms us, how God uses other people in order to make us more like Jesus. So in our text, starting in verse 12, Paul unpacks this picture of the body, and, and the church is like a human body. Just as a body, though one, has many different parts, all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ, so it is with his church. For we're all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And so Paul starts off by celebrating the unity in a church family, the unity in the church. 
Uh, just like a human body is one body with many parts, but the, the emphasis at the beginning is the one body, right? I don't consider my hand its own thing. It's part of my body. I don't consider my legs as their own independent thing. They're one body. And so that is a church. That is a church family. We are one church family. We are all united by one spirit. We all come to one communion table. We are all equally sinners in need of saving. We are all in, in shame and in need of grace and forgiveness. doesn't matter where in life we come from. It doesn't matter our ethnicity. It doesn't matter our station in life. We are all equally sinners coming equally to the one Savior. We are all saved by the same sacrifice. We are all brought to eternal life by the same resurrection, and we are united by one Spirit into one family as the people of God. That's who he's called us to be. So there's this incredible unity. We are one. We are all coming to the same place. But there's also a diversity to it. And this is where the body of Christ is a beautiful picture. A human body is a great metaphor of this. Jumping down to verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So the first part talked about the unity. This part talks about the diversity, that if we were all just one big eyeball, it'd be awfully hard to open a jar of pickles, right? That there's a diversity in how he has wired us and placed us. And he's about to talk, he's talking very specifically about spiritual gifts, that we are all gifted by God somehow, and we're not all gifted the same, and that's actually a really good thing. And even just practically in a church family, it's good that we're all coming from different places. It's good that we have a variety of perspectives and opinions on things. Because when we get together and we kick around ideas, things don't get missed. We bring a variety of thoughts together. We have discussions about things. We discern together. And nothing gets missed because of our diversity. The diversity is a beautiful thing. And so the body of Christ picture gets used here. One body united in one family, and yet different and diverse, and that is a good thing. And with that, as we say that, there are challenges with that when we are different from one another. If we all had the exact same opinion on every single issue, we'd get along really well. There would never be any conflict. But man, we would have a very limited way of looking at the world. And so we really value the diversity. We value that we're coming from different places as long as we are all willing to humble ourselves and be united to the cause of the greater body that we are all on the same page and we are moving in that direction. But we need one another. Paul goes on to say, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Again, talking specifically about giftings, that there are certain gifts that are out there and presentable, and, and I would be an example of that. And then there's gifts like, say, our board members who are very much behind the scenes. They're not in public. Um, but Paul's saying they're not one is not more important than the other. Whatever gift you have is important. Whatever you're bringing to the table is important. You need other people's gifts in a church family. Other people need your gifts. And so we don't want anyone to ever just be someone who's taking of the gifts of others. If this is home for you, if this is your church family, your, your job certainly is to receive from the gifts of others, but also to find a way that you can give back 
so that you're not just a body part that's just sucking life out of all the other ones. It is a, an important part that that goes both ways. And so all the body parts are important. Every one of us is important. Everybody is bringing something to the table. Now, when it comes to living in community, there are challenges. And yet, even the challenges of being in community, whether that's a church or a marriage or a family or whatever, the challenges can be formational. Scripture says in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And so as iron sharpens iron, like when that happens, there's friction, right? There's sparks, there's, there's conflict, there's scraping. But as that's happening, the, the iron is actually getting better. It doesn't mean it's a nice smooth process, but through the friction, through the conflict, there is a, a growth that is happening. Now, of course, all scripture is true. I look at that scripture and say, this one is really, really, really true, I have found. That conflict, if we're willing, can be incredibly formational for us. It can be incredible at, at giving us opportunities to grow if we are willing to lean into it, which we often aren't. Because when I'm in a conflict, I am always right and you are always wrong. And so it can be really difficult to see the other person's side. But every time we come into conflict with somebody else, that was sarcastic, by the way. I thought that would get a bigger laugh. I don't think I'm always right. But whenever we come into conflict, it's, it's not necessarily that, um, you know, in the video, for example, that we just saw where, uh, you know, through the conflict, they really learned something about themselves. But it was like through the conflict, their bad character leapt to the surface, didn't it, right? Through this little minor thing that escalated so quickly, uh, a little, you know, bump that was accidental, quickly escalated into something crazy. And I'm sure at the end of that story, it's, wow, that really got up there real quick. How did it get there so fast? but it showed something about what was going on inside, right? Something inside got exposed. And in that sense, our conflicts can be like the little lights on the dashboard of our car. The way we react in these times can tell us something about ourselves. Conflict has a way of forcing our bad character up to the surface. And the plus of that is we can see it then if we have open eyes. We can acknowledge it and say, oh wow, I had a burst of anger there that I wasn't expecting. Or wow, I'm really being selfish as I reflect on that fight I had with my wife. Or oh wow, there's a, another sin going on here that I didn't even know was there until this conflict forced it to the surface. So conflict can be amazing if we are humble and if we have open eyes by which we can take a look at that. It is always an opportunity for us to grow. Another challenging scripture, Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Some versions say, in humility consider others better than yourselves. And, you know, that can be easy when you're looking at someone you admire, right? That can be easy when you're looking to someone you love and say, like, wow, they're so much better at me at, at patience, or they're so much better at me at understanding the Bible or, or whatever it is. But it can be really difficult when it's the person who drives you crazy. But do you have enough humility to say, you know what, I'm going to look at all of my relationships this way. Because when Jesus was talking to his disciples about how to be great in the kingdom, he brought a little child and stood the child in the midst of them and said, be like this child if you really want to impress God. Now, I have young kids, and I don't say this to sound braggy, you guys, but I'm smarter than they are just because I'm an adult, and I know they will far surpass me one day. But for the moment, I'll enjoy being smarter. And 
if that's the case, like if we who are grown-ups, just by virtue of being older and more experienced, know more than our kids, and yet Jesus said, hey, be like these kids, learn from these kids, then there's obviously nobody in our life that we can't learn from. So in humility, to consider others as more important than yourselves means in every interaction, I need to go into it saying, you know what? I'm not the smartest person in this situation. I'm not the most righteous person in this situation. I'm not the person who's got it all figured out. I'm not the most godly person. I need to consider what does this other pe person have to show me? What does this person have to teach me? What does this person have that's going to help me grow? No matter who it is, no matter who it is in our life. And so it's easy to do that when it's people we admire. It's harder to do that when it's people that frustrate us or, or people that we are struggling with or people that drive us crazy. But that's a, a great step in our growing maturity to say, you know what? How can I approach every human interaction I have as to say this person is more important than I am? This person maybe has something to teach me and to come at it with that humility. Because we talked about two weeks ago approaching scripture with humility, saying I don't have the Bible figured out, obviously. I need to come with humility, that I'm going to learn some things. Last week, we talked about approaching the Holy Spirit with humility, saying, Lord, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. Today, I want us to think about that. Can you approach other people in your life? Can you approach the person in your life who you struggle with the most? Can you approach them with that humility, where you say, I'm not going to get defensive. I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to justify. I'm just going to listen and see what can I glean? What can I learn? How has God put this person in my life to show me something about myself? Because just to continue with our renovation metaphor, uh, it has been my experience that um, we need both sides to happen in a renovation. We need to tear out what is not good and needs to go, and we also need to build up what is good and maybe create new things that are good. There are two sides of the renovation that need to happen. And God can use us in each other's lives for that way. We can both be a force to help point out what's wrong in someone else's life. Sometimes that happens just naturally through conflict as our bad character rises to the surface. Sometimes that comes from us perhaps sitting down with someone and saying, hey, I just out of love for you as a brother or sister in the Lord, I have a concern that I see or there is some sin that I see, or, or there is some character that's a problem. We might need to do that as well. There needs to be a point in any renovation project where you are highlighting the problem and dealing with the problem that is there. And then there's another side of the renovation project where we build up, and that is part of our job as the people of God as well, that we encourage, that we, we see what is good, we cheer one another on, we help build up what God is there, we point out the good things that he's doing, we help each other notice that. And it's been my experience of these two things. There are, there are some of us who are just more wired to point out what's wrong, and there are some of us who are more naturally wired to point out what's good and to, to build up and to encourage. I think we can all do both, but we probably naturally lean one way or the other. Some of us uh, have the crucial job of seeing what's wrong, what needs fixing, and starting to think about how we can tackle that. Some of us are wonderfully encouraging, and we're really good at building up, and we're really good at seeing what's good and emphasizing that. Both are necessary, and I want to make that clear. But you can ask yourself, ah, which one do I lean to? Am I the more critically-minded person? Person who tends to see what's wrong and then sees the problem, or am I more, a more encouraging person who tends to see what's good that can be nurtured and built up? Both are really important. And the reason that the, the first one is important and when we are noticing what's wrong and how to fix it is you can't renovate anything unless you are acknowledging things that are wrong and need fixing. Uh, scripture says in Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. The NIV says the wounds of a friend can be trusted. That means one of our jobs as friends, one of our jobs as we love one another, will sometimes be to sting the other person in the service of helping them be more holy. That there is a time and a place where it's appropriate to sit with someone and say, I have a concern about you. And those are not always fun conversations. It is not always fun if somebody has a great idea to say, I don't like that idea. I don't think that will work. It's not always easy when someone is, is going through something to say, I am not sure about the way you're treating your spouse right now. But that's what friends have to do. And, and faithful are those wounds. That means you can trust your friends when they do that. If a stranger walks up to you and starts criticizing your parenting, that's a whole other thing. It doesn't say faithful are the wounds of a stranger, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. We need to love each other enough that when we see sin going on, we speak to it. We need to love each other enough that when we have a concern about someone's life, we are willing to have that conversation. We have to. If we see sin and we're not speaking up about it, we are complicit in that sin. And to go back to the body of Christ metaphor, we want the body to be healthy. We want everybody to be growing in holiness. We want everybody to be getting the, the dark stuff, the toxic stuff out of their body and out of our body. And so we have an obligation in our love and our commitment to one another that we do point out problems that we see. We can't stay silent on that stuff. Now, when we do that, we are also signing up to help. We are not just saying, here's a problem, good luck with that. But if I have a concern about a marriage, or if I have a concern about a sin, or if I have a concern about some character or whatever, I am also coming alongside to say, and what can I do to help you through this? I'm not going to leave you alone as you work through this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, a loved one who we know loves us and who we love. We can trust the sting, even if it hurts a little bit. It's a hurt in cause of the bigger health, the bigger picture. Uh, I shared the story last week of I burned my hand uh, pretty badly. So second degree burn. And when I was getting it looked at, the nurse practitioner uh, looked at it, went, oh, second degree burn, it's infected. So here's some cream, uh, antibiotic cream that you're going to rub into it and uh, other stuff I had to do as well. But she said, this cream, uh, until the wound sort of seals over, is going to hurt a lot, just so you know. Always great when your healthcare professional tells you that. This is going to be painful. But she said, it's infected, and if we don't stop the infection, lots of bad stuff can happen. So you need to put this cream on uh, twice a day for the next number of days. And so, again, it's much better now, and thanks to those of you who are asking and praying for that. But those first couple of days, to take medicated cream and rub it into an open wound, I'm not trying to be gross, but the whole time you're just like, Argh! it's like fire. It's like acid being poured on something that's already painful. But you do it, of course, because it's a temporary pain that is necessary for the health of the body. It is a temporary pain that doesn't feel good in the moment, but it is necessary for health. And so you go, the temporary pain sucks, but it's going to be worth it if they don't have to amputate my thumb. And so when we're talking about holiness, that is part of our obligation to one another. Like, I, I have to do it as a pastor. It's not the funnest part of the job for me. I'm more of the encouraging side of things. And so to sit down and say there's a concern here, or to sit down, I see this sin, or to sit down and say here's where you're falling short of the scripture, it's not necessarily the funnest of conversations, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. When it comes from someone who loves us, we trust that they love us. 
We trust that it's coming from a place of concern. We trust that they are doing it because they want us to get better, and they are not just pointing out the problem, but they are volunteering to help us with that problem. So some of us are very good at this, actually. Some of us are really good at pointing out what's wrong. Some of us are too good at pointing out what's wrong with things. Some of us, that's all that we're doing, and that also is a problem. And so I told the story in the first service that there was a, a guy I had in Sudbury at my last church, and the day I got voted in, he came up to me and he said, uh, congratulations, you know, we're so nice to meet you, and we're really excited to what God's gonna do over the next few years, and welcome to Sudbury, and all that stuff. And then he said, as he was leaving, he says, by the way, you'll only hear from me when I think there's a problem. And he backed away. And weirdly, I think he meant that as a good thing. I think he was trying to say, I'm not gonna be super needy, or I'm not gonna be banging on your door all the time. But, you know, I, I don't think it maybe came across the way he meant it. But just so we're clear here, whether it's in your marriage or as a parent or, or at your workplace or in a church or wherever, it is nobody's job just to point out what's wrong all the time, right? It's nobody's job to just point out what's wrong. I'm going to say that three times. It's nobody's job to just point out what's wrong. And there are certain things that we can't change about ourselves, right? An eye is not a hand, and, and a foot is not the ear, and all that stuff that we've read already. But this isn't one of those things. This is an area where we can stretch ourselves. And so if you are more naturally wired, that you tend to see what's wrong and what needs fixing, that's amazing. We need that. Things don't get better if we don't point out what's wrong. It took me a little while to learn in my marriage that if I didn't speak up, nothing ever changed. And Sarah would come to me and tell me stuff that I was doing that bugged her, and I had no idea. But once she told me, we can actually deal with it now. So it's an important job to point out what's wrong. But you can also stretch yourself and say, okay, now where can I point out what's right? Where can I see what's good? Where can I build up? Because if all we're doing is pointing out what's wrong, that's like the contractor going into the kitchen, saying these cabinets are terrible, tearing them all down, and then saying, all right, I'm done, pay me my money. There's a building up that also has to happen. And so if you're not naturally good at the building up, guess what you get to work on? Guess what your growth area is? To begin to not just see what's needing of fixing, but also to begin to build up what is good, to encourage and spur one another on. So some of us are naturally pretty good at this. Some of us are more naturally the other way. Uh, we are more naturally encouraging. We see what's good, we wanna build it up. Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily. So these people are also important. It is important that we are encouraging because apparently we need it daily in this walk with Jesus. We need regular encouragement. We need to see what's good. We need to see where we're going. There needs to be hope there as well, not just what's wrong and needs fixing, but also what's good and, and what is moving forward. So both sides are needed. Now, this can also go too far because people who are wired this way sometimes become conflict avoiders. They might not ever point out a problem. They might not ever, I don't want anyone mad at me, and because I don't want anyone mad at me, I'm not gonna have a conversation that's necessary, or I'm not gonna speak up when I'm bothered by something. I'm just gonna hold it inside, and it's gonna brew around in there. So this one can also go too far, but it's also nobody's job to only encourage. It's, no, it's not anybody's job to only encourage either, just like it's not anyone's job just to point out what's wrong. I'll say that a third time as well. It is not anybody's job only to encourage. Because if everything I do is just encouragement and just positive and just upbeat, I'm probably not really being honest about what's going on because there's always things to work on. 
And there are always things that can be pointed out, and there's always things that we could do better. And so this also can go too far. And yet, if you're one of these people, you are also desperately needed because we need the encouragement. We need to see where we're going. We need hope. We need to have a drive to move forward. And so however you land, both sides are needed. But if you are more wired this way and this is more natural to you, you also need to stretch yourself to say, okay, well, where can I be honest about something? Where can I speak up? about something that's bothering me. That'll be a stretch for people who are wired this way. Where, where can I encourage, uh, not just encourage though, but also be honest about what's wrong, even as I'm encouraging them to move forward. There's a stretching that can happen there as well. If all we're doing is encouraging and nothing else, that's like a contractor going into the kitchen, seeing the old cabinets and saying, I'm just gonna put the new ones right on top of there. And that's not a good look. Pay me my money. Right? Because there is a, a, a tearing out that needs to happen in our character, and there's a building up of what's new happening in our character. Both are needed together. So the author of Ecclesiastes said it this way in Ecclesiastes 3.3, there's a time to tear down, and there's a time to build up. And don't get stuck on tear down, because often when we say, you know, I tore someone down, it's very, very negative and brutal. That's not what I'm talking about. But just in the context of this conversation, there is a time to point out what is wrong. There is a time to criticize lovingly. There is a time to say this needs fixing. There's a time to be very honest about stuff. There's a time to be blunt. There's a time to be pragmatic. There's a time to be forceful, perhaps. There is a time to do that for sure. There is also a time to build up. There is a time to cheerlead. There is a time to say, here's what's great. There's a time to celebrate. There's a time to spur on. There's a time to, to fill with faith and fill with hope and fill with love. Both things need to happen. Both of these things need to happen in a renovation project. There's a time to tear down and there's a time to build up. If we are open and willing, God will use other people to do that in our lives. He will use other people to point out what needs fixing and he will use other people to build up and encourage the work that he is doing, and he will use us to do that in other people's lives as well. But we have to be willing and ready for that to happen. But both are required. Moving into our last verse, verse 24, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And this is just the beautiful picture of the body of Christ, that, uh, that the concern we would have for one another, because we are all one, we are all one family, we are all united together, and even though we are different, and even though we're all in different stages and everything, I love the part about when one part of the body is suffering, the rest of the body rallies to that part. When one part is celebrating, the whole body can come and celebrate with that person. There's a time for celebration. There's a time that we rejoice together. There's a time that we mourn together, but that the body parts would all be concerned for one another and would come together. Uh, again, just coming out of this burn on my hand, someone said after the first service, do you think God burned you just so you could have sermon illustrations? I said, I really hope not, because I, <laughs> I think if I listened carefully, I could have got it without the physical, actual quality happening to me. But uh, when the burn happened, it happened really quick, goes in the kitchen, and just looking back, none of this was, was my active plan, uh, but right away, as soon as the burn happened, my legs go into gear, right? Back away from the source of the pain. My left hand started reaching for the faucet. My arm moved the hand into the cold water. Right away, the body reacts to the pain. My brain starts doing weird things with endorphins and stuff that I don't understand at all, but I think it's all going on in there. And even since it happened, as it's been tender, 
Uh, you know, my arm is holding my hand differently, right? Because I don't want to bang it on things because it really hurts when that happens. I'm right-handed, so this is a bit of a problem. My left hand's really stepped up and is doing all sorts of things that it doesn't normally do just because it has to. And all the while, the body is healing itself, which is incredible. It's just been fascinating to watch. And I, I haven't had a burn like this before, but just to watch day by day as it gets better and better, like my body is regenerating its own skin. It's incredible. I'm more amazed at this than you guys are. <laughs> like where there was just an open wound, now it's covered over with brand new skin and it's continuing every day. There's like another layer and every day it's changing and healing and it is doing that itself. We're not putting any meds on it anymore. Like my body is regenerating itself. It's a beautiful picture. When one of us is hurting, we should be rallying to that hurt. And when one of us is celebrating, we should rally to the celebration. Like there is time to come together, to celebrate together and encourage one another. There's time where there's pain to go rush to that place of pain. There's time where there's something toxic, where we as the body need to speak to that which is toxic, that which is sinful. It's all important to a healthy body. It's all important to a healthy marriage. It's all important to a healthy family. It's all important to a healthy church. And so we struggle together in this walk, we celebrate together, uh, we walk together, and we have equal concern for one another. We care for one another because we are part of one body together. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done here. We've named 2020 a year of next levels at Meadowbrook Church. And uh, our, just, our big theme for the year is we want to go further. We don't want to be in the same place as we were a year ago. We want to very intentionally seek growth and maturity and going deeper. We want to be doing that uh, in everything that we're doing. And so we've specifically been talking about this in three different avenues, going to the next level upwardly and inwardly and outwardly. Upwardly in our relationship with Jesus, inwardly as we get honest with ourselves, look within and deal with our stuff, outwardly as we engage with other people uh, in our church family and in the world around us. So just a few things for you to think about as we get ready to close in a few minutes. Going to the next level upwardly, uh, just for your reflection, where have others played a part? Uh, others in the community of God, where have they played a part in bringing you closer to Jesus? Where have other people with their gifts, with their time, with their encouragement, with their criticism perhaps at times, where have they played a part in you coming closer to Jesus? Where have they played a part in your spiritual formation over time? And just as importantly, where have you played a part in bringing others closer to Jesus and helping them in their formation as they are in this journey alongside you as a fellow body part member? Inwardly, we're talking this whole series about just being honest with ourselves. Where do I see sin? Where do I see character? But also then being open enough to let others speak into that as well. Because as people maybe have to come and have a conversation with us, or as conflict you know, comes and our bad character rises to the surface, we have to be willing to acknowledge that. And if someone comes and says, hey, I've got a concern about you, sometimes our reaction is, oh yeah, well, I have 10 concerns about you. Who are you? to come and tell me about me. This isn't about me, this is about you. But if someone loves us enough to come and say, I have a concern, we also need to love them enough to receive that concern. And I'm not saying they're right or that you have to agree with anything, but our brains are really good. When we feel attacked, we start to justify, we start to make excuses, we start to punch back, we start to justify and make sense in our heads of why they're wrong and why this is their fault. When someone comes with a concern, all we need to do is say, thank you, let me think about it. That's it. 
Don't punch back. Don't get defensive. Don't make it their fault. If someone comes and says, here's a concern I see, thank you. I will think about it. I will pray about it. Maybe they're wrong. They could be wrong. But even if they're mostly wrong, often there's at least one thing in there that, that we do need to pay attention to. I've had conversations with people over the years. I've been in ministry almost 20, and people, you know, sometimes don't like what you're doing and sometimes have a lot to say. I've sat in some conversations that are brutal, where people are telling me everything that they think I'm doing wrong or everything that the church is doing wrong. And in some of those conversations, I'm going, I don't like it. most of what you're saying. I think you're wrong about a lot of things. I really don't like your attitude even as you're doing it. But you know what? There's a couple of things in there that were fair. There's some things in there that were important for me to hear. And so can we be humble enough to say, I'm going to consider this other person more important than myself. I'm going to consider perhaps that this other person is in essence a messenger of the Lord maybe to come and point out something about myself. Can we be humble enough to receive this from other people? And as we look at who we are, how God has wired us, if we are more critically minded, where can we go and be more encouraging even this week? If we are more wired for encouragement, where can we speak up about something that we maybe have been avoiding because we don't want to disrupt things? Outwardly, to continue to walk this out in our church community and to think, am I engaged in that level of church community with others? Uh, because if we all need to be built up, if we all need to be encouraged by other believers, if we all need to be perhaps at times criticized in a loving way to point out things that we don't see about ourselves, are we engaged in a way in which that can happen? Are we walking with other believers in such a fashion? And Sunday morning is not the best place for that to happen. We love our Sunday mornings. They are crucially important. We think it's important that we, we unite together. This is where the, that oneness of the body gets really, really affirmed and established. As we worship with one voice, as we sit under one teaching, as we pray together, as we visit together a little bit. But there's not a lot of accountability that happens on a Sunday morning. There's not a lot of this happening because, you know, you're all looking at me and I'm all looking at you. Are there places in our lives where people can speak? into things? Are there places in our lives where we can be encouraged by others? Are we in a life group? Do we have an accountability partner? Do we have some Christian friends that we can gather with? And if we don't, what does a step look like then in going to the next level there where you can engage with other believers in a way that's going to encourage you in your walk and help you in your spiritual formation? We have an email address here at meadowbrookquestions at meadowbrook.ca. We're happy to keep the conversation going about the sermon. If you get home and go, I wonder about this, please send something my way, and we'd be very happy to keep chatting. When we talk about community, there are always challenges to it. Again, whether it's a marriage, a family, a workplace, a church, anytime we're engaging with other people, there is always the potential for conflict. There's always the potential for it to be challenging. But there's also the need that we have for community where we need the encouragement, we need the hope that others bring, we need the gifts that others bring, we need the blessings that others bring, and when we unite in that community, we get to move forward in an incredible and beautiful and healthy way. Just as a human body, when it's all working right and on the same page can do great things, so do we when we unite in that together. And so before we go today, we do want to worship together as one voice, because we think it's important when we do this as a community. So I'll ask you to stand to your feet, the words will be up on the screen, and with one voice, let's worship as our prayer before we close today.